0: Amen. Well, good morning. Okay, I'm just going to say it. I needed to sing today more than I thought. It was awesome. I'm just like, I want to bring these guys back out. And, uh, and here's what I hope that that does for you. I really do. I, I hope that it changes the posture of your heart to a posture that looks like this. This is how the Old Testament saints prayed, by the way. They would, they would raise their hands, they'd lift them out like, like they're going to catch something from heaven, and they would look expectantly to heaven for the answer to their prayers. I love that. Every week we get to the end of the service, we do a benediction. What do most of us do? With this? It's remarkable. What is the posture of the heart of the servant of the Lord? I'll give it to you in a phrase. It is, "Speak, Lord, for your servant." what? Listens. Listens and listens with a heart that's saying, "Tell me what to do next." because whatever it is, you are so great, I just like I can't wait to do it. I'm signed up to do it. So with that posture of heart, we come to the end of our study of the life of Peter this morning, and we come to a story that is one of the most significant stories, period, anywhere, anytime, any place, and in the Bible. And I say that because this is the place in the Bible, it's the place in history where God, through the apostle Peter, makes it clear, not just to Peter, but to the then first century church that was almost exclusively Jewish in this moment, that the gospel is for absolutely everyone. That's surprising to you? Like, you just know that, don't you? I mean, you know, we live all these centuries later, we're like, well, of course the gospel is for everybody. We just take it for granted that the gospel is for everyone. Even if we don't know this teaching, we see how it's playing out and we see that the gospel is for everyone. We would assume that the gospel would be for everyone. They didn't. Until this day. Until this story. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And you say, all right, well, Tom, uh, you know, like I get that that's a significant story. Obviously, that's important to me. You know, I mean, I'm a Gentile. Probably you're a Gentile, even if you're not a Gentile, but you're actually ethnically a Jew, probably you were discipled by Gentiles. Like eternally, this has made a difference in my life and your life and the lives of just about everyone on the planet who claims Christ or who will come to faith in Jesus. Like I get the fact that this is a really important story, but the point of the story is something I already get. Why are we studying this? Got it. Gospel for everybody. Bring the band back up. I loved the singing. We're going to do more of that. All right, so here's the deal. Today, the question that we're going to ask is not, why does this matter to me? We know the answer to that already, don't we? The question that we're going to ask is, what does this require of me? Oh, that's different. What's the answer to that? It's the same thing that it required of Peter. Peter. So let's look at the story and figure it out. We pick up our study today in Acts 10, beginning in verse 1, where Luke, who is the author of this book of Acts, tells us this. He says that at Caesarea, so the story takes place in a city, and I want you to see where the city is located. So it's located on the Mediterranean Sea right there. All right, if you drop below it two cities, you get Tel Aviv, Yafo. What is Yafo? It's the ancient city of Joppa. It's southern Tel Aviv, modern times. Why does that matter? Because as we enter into this story, the man that Peter is going to encounter is up in Caesarea. That's where the story is going to take place as we'll see it play out in a second. But Peter is down in Jaffa. He's down in Joppa. That's where he's located. In Caesarea was a large city, it was a wealthy city, it was a port city, it was the seat for the government of Rome and the whole region of Judea. The Roman procurator or governor of Rome who governed over that whole region kept his headquarters there. You can go to the palace that actually Herod the Great built or at least the remains of the palace that Herod the Great built today and you can see where the Roman governor lived. And who was the Roman governor? Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, who crucified Christ. Pontius Pilate, who still in this moment was going, what happened to the body? Like, where, where did the body go? You know, like we, we set a seal on the stone. We, we, had, we had guards at the grave. The world is being overrun, but only within the community of the Jews, for the most part by the gospel, if he could only produce the body, he could shut the whole thing down, but he can't. You get the idea? It's in that city that the story takes place. It says that it's Caesarea, and now we're introduced to one of the main characters. There was a man named Cornelius, and who was he? Because here begins the description. He was a centurion, so he was a military officer in the Roman army of what was then known as the Italian cohort. And so for purposes of our study today, we've got Peter over here, we've got Cornelius over here, and we've got all kinds of things where, in Peter's heart, as a Jewish man, separating him from this man. And not just this man, but the rest of the Gentile world. You're like, can you stop and explain what a Gentile is? Yes, a Gentile is anyone who isn't Jewish. So that's me, that's you. you know, it doesn't matter what your nationality is, your race, your color, any of that. You all got categorized into this one category. There, were, there was Jew, and then there was everyone else. barriers between Peter and Cornelius? Well, I mean, there was a racial barrier. Okay. So Peter was Jewish. Cornelius was not. All right. There were political barriers and please don't underplay this. This was huge. Peter was a Jew and the Jews were under Roman occupation. And and not only was Cornelius a Roman, that would be bad enough, but he was a Roman soldier. That would be bad enough, but he was a commander of Roman soldiers. Okay. Then that's the worst. The Jews have been occupied by Rome for generations at this point in history, and for generations at this point in history, Rome, primarily through the vehicle of its soldiers, had abused and mistreated and took advantage of and completely demeaned the Jewish people, and they resented these guys, they hated these guys, not in a you've inconvenienced me kind of way, but in a you unjustly crucified my father kind of way, and you left him hanging naked on a cross outside our city, you would not allow us to take him down, and the foul birds of the air ate his flesh kind of way. That's a little different. It's intense. So, walls in Peter's heart. We've got race. We have politics. What else do we have? We've got social walls. We have cultural walls. What you need to understand is that for 1,400 years, okay, feel the weight of that too. For 1,400 years leading up to this story, Peter and all the rest of the Jews had carved out an identity amidst all of the other people groups of the world that was singular in its nature. In other words, they separated themselves out from the world by means of laws that were like dietary laws, what you can't eat and what you can't eat. What made you unclean versus clean, you get that? So I'm clean, and you, Cornelius, not so much. That probably felt pretty good for Cornelius too, don't you think? Good grief. And as a result, if you were Jewish, you could not hang out with a Gentile. You could not go into the home of a Gentile. You could not touch anything touched by a Gentile. You know, the Gentile go, hey, man, have a seat on the bench next to me. Yeah, I can't do that. Why? Because you just touched it that's it. Can't go in your house, can't hang out, can't touch anything you've touched because your defilement, your uncleanness is so intense and so viral that if I touch anything that you've touched or I brush up against you or I go into your house or I eat out of one of your cups or drink out of one of your, you know, whatever. I mean, if I do any of these things, I myself will be unclean. And then I got to go through this whole process of shedding the unclean that I got from you and becoming clean again. Oh, how these people loved each other. Something, isn't it? Wall upon wall. Barrier upon barrier. So what do we have so far? We've got Peter and the whole first century, almost exclusively Jewish church over here. And then we've got Cornelius, and let's just say it, the rest of the world also over here. And in Peter's heart, and all of these people's hearts, we've got wall upon wall and barrier upon barrier. Preventing them from taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, even though Jesus had commanded them to do it. That's something. But notice what else Luke says about Cornelius because it's significant. In verse 2, he says that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household and who gave alms generously to the people and who prayed continually, which means that for all of the things dividing Cornelius from Peter, at least Cornelius did in fact agree that the God of Israel was the true and the living God, which is itself pretty miraculous if you think about it. And yet he doesn't know Israel's true savior who is Jesus. And the whole point of the story is that unless Peter gets past these walls and barriers by the power of the spirit, tears them down and steps into the life of this man and shares the gospel with him, he is not going to hear the gospel. And chances are neither will the rest of us. So I just want to step out of the story for a minute because it's not just about him. It's about me. It's about you. And here's what I want to ask you. Who in your life might never meet Jesus unless they meet him through you? Anybody's name come to mind for you? Who is it? Listen, I understand that God always gets his man or woman. I I really do. I understand that God sovereignly controls absolutely everything. I understand, I truly do, that we are dead, not just sick. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And unless God comes and literally awakens us from the dead spiritually and gives to us as a free gift of grace, the very faith by which we embrace Christ and our lives are transformed, including now and for all of eternity, it won't happen. But I also understand that at times... I'm the person and so are you. God doesn't just ordain the ends, you know, what it is that he wants to see accomplished in the end. He ordains the means to the end. That is to say how it is that what he wants to see accomplished in the end is going to happen. And oftentimes, if I think more often than we think, we're supposed to be that end. Like, come on. Who? Put a name on it. I'll give you an example. So Almost 20 years ago, I did a wedding for a girl that I went to high school with. She just called me up out of the blue. She was getting married. She lived up in Atlanta. And she was coming down, and her dad, we all grew up in Miami, went to Westminster Christian down there. Uh, but her dad had a house in Lake Placid, which is two hours from here. Wedding in Lake Placid. Tom, would you please, please, would you, would you please come and do the wedding? I said, All right, okay, good. We, we did it. And so we went. We did the wedding and I met her dad, he was not a believer, super good guy, like just immediately you love this guy, easy to talk with and we kind of hit it off, the dad and I. So anyway, wedding over, we all go back home. Maybe five years later she calls me and she said, my dad, she said, I'm in Miami, I'm at my dad's house and he's dying. Uh, He's got cancer, doctor's saying a week or two at the most. Uh, You know, I'm concerned for his soul. Like, I've tried to talk to him. My brothers try to talk to him. My sisters try to talk to him. You know, he likes you. Like, he, I don't know, maybe he appreciated that you did the wedding or whatever. But for whatever reason, he spoke nicely of you after the wedding was over. Do you think that you could come down here and tell him about Jesus? Like, you know, one last chance. I mean, what am I going to say? No? No? Hey, you know what? I've got a friend. He has a church. It's like 10 minutes from where you're at. By the way, that's true. Really a good guy. He's been a pastor much longer than me. Also true. Very experienced. I think your dad will love him. I'm going to give him a call and see if he'll run by your house. No, I'm the guy. I'm the one who has the relationship. I'm the one that he's already spoken nice things about apparently. Like I'm the one that God has uniquely given favor with him so that was like a Friday or something next day Saturday I drive down to Miami and I'm praying the whole way oh Lord please you know because I mean a little bit of pressure I mean even though the pressure is really the Lord's the pressure is just that you desperately you know are fearful for this man like you want to see this man come to faith in Jesus before he dies and clearly his family does so I show up at the house he doesn't know I'm coming so it's a sneak attack and I said look does he know I'm, she's like, no. I said, okay, so go in there, remind him of who I am. Cause I mean, I might walk in and he'll go, I don't know who you are and what the heck are you doing here? Get out, you know? So like, tell him who I am, tell him that I came to see him. He'll know why. So she did and then she walked me in. And I sat down and if you've ever seen anybody die of cancer, it's a terrible disease. I, I hate this disease and it just, it ravages you. So you know what I was looking at. And there was this little chair and I sat down in the chair and I said, hey, Bill, his name isn't Bill, it was Ted. Um, so it was Jim, actually. I said, hey, Bill, you know, I said, I, I'm, I'm grateful to see you, but I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for your suffering I'm so sorry for the way that things have gone for you of late. I said, look, I'm a Christian pastor. I said, let me just put that hat off. I'm a Christian. You don't have to be a pastor to do this. That is so much of where I'm going. And I talk about Jesus and I've studied Jesus. Like I have staked my whole life in eternity on this man, Jesus. And I haven't done it flippantly. Like, I, I've looked into this. I, and I'm here to tell you, first of all, that, that this gospel that I want to share with you is true and that it's for you. Are you okay with me just taking, I don't know, the next 10 minutes and just telling you the story of the gospel? I know you've heard it. Just listen to it again. Would you, would you do me that favor? And he said, yes. And so, very succinctly, And frankly, pretty directly, I shared the gospel with him and I got to the end. And I said, so Bill, I said, would you like, I said, first of all, I said, do you understand what I explained to you? He said, I did. I said, okay. I said, well, then do you want me to pray with you? I'm like, it could lead you through a prayer and you can express to the Lord your desire if you have it to, you know, just confess your sin and to receive the forgiveness that Jesus suffered and died, was buried and is risen to freely give to you. And I'll never forget, guys, he looked at me and he he goes, well, I think I should, don't you? (laughs) And I said, yes, sir, I I think that would be a a wise move on your part at this this stage of life. And he did, okay, he did. But here's the thing, those people are in your life too. Everybody has cancer, do you know that? Like maybe not literally, yet we're a dying breed we're born we live we suffer we have joys we have sorrows we have this we have that and then how does it end for everyone universally the same way it ended for him maybe just in a different fashion maybe just in a different time frame our lives are moving quickly as are the lives of everyone around you and i'm laying it on you today i'm saying hey Who is your Bill? Who is your Cornelius? And what the heck is it in me and in you that keeps us from them? Because there are walls. And what the story is saying, hey, you know, Peter got over that and made the gospel available to you. What will you do? So if you know the story, God then appeals to Cornelius in a vision, and he says, listen, you're up here, you know, in, in Caesarea, and Peter is down here in Joppa, so I want you to send men, and I want them to walk the 32-mile, you know, path along the seashore, ancient road, and I want you to go and you find him, and here's where he's staying, and it's, you know, like, here's the address and the Google Maps, and, and so they, he sent to these people, and it says in verse 9 that the next day, as these men sent by Cornelius were on their journey approaching the city of Joppa, where Peter's at... So just before they arrive, Peter goes up on the housetop of the house that he's staying in, and he goes up there at about the sixth hour, which is noon. He goes up at noon to pray, and then he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, so he sees a vision, and it says that he saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet. Now, one of the commentators that I read this week called it a great sail, you know, like you're like, well, who cares if it's a sheet or a sail? It's a big sheet made of linen that maybe could also be used as a sail. Well, I think it kind of matters because Peter was a fisherman, and yes, he had rowboats, but the rowboats had also sails. He'd worked in boats all his life. When he's called to be a fisher of men, where is he? He's in one of them. Here comes a sheet, or maybe a sail. And the question is, what kind of fish are you supposed to catch, Pete? Because the sheet suggests it's a much broader audience than the fish you've been catching. It says, like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth, and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air that were just fine for those unclean Gentile people over there to eat, but not for him. Never. And yet there came a voice to him, which is obviously the voice of God, saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But then what did Peter say? Not to me, not to you, not to Cornelius, but to God himself. Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's like, listen, this food is fine for those people over there, but let's be honest. I don't have never had anything to do with this food or those people over there. And I don't plan to start today. I don't plan to do that ever And God rebukes him. I love this man, Peter, because he fails in so many of the ways that I do. And he always, in the end, gets it right. In the end. The voice came to him a second time saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened not once, not twice, but three times Three times, and then the thing, meaning the sheet or sail full of unclean animals, representing all of the different kind of Gentiles of the world, was taken up at once to heaven, which practically speaking means that three times Peter looked at the whole world that was not Jewish and said to God, yeah, I'm not going to those guys. I think I'm going to take a pass on this one. You know, I've been doing a lot of other things. I'm just going to focus on my folks. Lord, I know that you want me to do this. I know that Jesus said to do this. And I get the whole message of the sheet. I think I'm still processing, but I'm pretty sure it's not ambiguous. And my answer is no. What he's saying is, look, there are things in here. This is where they live. Walls, barriers, whatever, standing between me and And this man, Cornelius, and for that matter, everybody who isn't Jewish in that particular moment. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that we have the same things. And maybe you're thinking, how do you know that I have those things? You don't even know who I am. We've never had a conversation. I've never seen you before. I've been coming the last couple weeks. I like the other preachers better. And you know, like, all right, I, I do too. You know, I think they're amazing. You don't know anything about me. How do you know? Here's the evidence. You're not doing it. That's the, it's like, boom, we're done. Like, are you? Like, maybe you're going, yes, yes, yes. No, no, I am doing, okay, you're an exception. Let me ask you a serious question, totally sober. You ready? When was the last time you talked to anybody who isn't a believer about Jesus? When was it? I think there are more Christians in the American church who have never talked to anyone about Jesus that don't already know Jesus Then there are those who have. I can't prove that. I don't have statistics. I didn't do a study. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'll bet it's close, even if I'm wrong. And look, I'm not just speaking to you. I'm talking to me. And, you know, maybe you're like, well, what do do you mean you're talking to you? You get up on Sundays and you talk to hundreds of people about Jesus, like week by week by week by week. I do. But this is different. I mean, it's really different. Like, if you came here today, no matter what reason you came, like to make your husband or wife happy, for good for your kids, or you sincerely want to hear the word of the Lord, or, you know, we have people who drive by sometimes and they come in, they're like, man, I don't even know why I'm here. I just felt drawn irresistibly to come in here, which is pretty awesome. That's the Holy Spirit. But there are a thousand different reasons that people come to church. All of them probably represented somehow over the course of this day at this church. And... No one is surprised, though, when they come that there's going to be a message and whoever it is is going to talk about Jesus. Like, you're not hitting your friend going, Man, you totally duped me. Like, what did you do to me, man? Get the, I thought it was just going to be music and I was enjoying that part, and now it's Jesus and this is awkward, and it, no, it's not. It's like you knew the ride when you bought the ticket, you came. And here's the other difference. I'm the only one talking. I mean, like, occasionally somebody will shout something out from the audience that has happened. Uh, it's, it's fun and intense and exciting and awkward. <laughs> you know, I, it was so funny. Some, I was preaching away one time, and, and this lady's like, can we talk about something else? I want to talk about this. And so then I had to, from the stage kind of reason with her, you know, all the deacons are like, oh, good grief. And we're going to have to ask her to leave because she's not relenting. You know, my daughter afterwards said, dad, I was sweating. I was so nervous for you. I said, honey, it was okay. It, it's okay. But it's mostly a monologue. This isn't me sitting down at a table with you and going, hey, what do you think of that? What, what are your doubts? What are your fears? Give it to me straight. What is Alpha, it's the opportunity to do that. It's not an alpha message, but good grief, it fits. It's remarkable. Look, can we agree what I'm doing now is very different from you sitting down with your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or your friend or your coworker or your classmates or your neighbor or whomever and saying, all right, so I want to share with you something that's the most important thing in my life and that I've, I've maybe never talked to you about. And can we, since we're not doing that, agree that there are things in here that are preventing us from doing that? I want to name some of those things. Just call them out. In me, in you, in all of us. The first one is pride. We're concerned about what people think about us. And so concerned about what people think about us that we don't want them to think that we're that guy or that girl or a weirdo or stupid or whatever else, whatever other label we might inherit if we take a step of faith and say, hey, I want to, in love, share this with you. We're friends no matter what happens in this conversation, but, but I feel like you need to know this. You're my Cornelius, you're my Bill, you're my, what's the name? What is the person's name? What about selfishness? I think that's in there. It can be awkward, man. I mean, even this is a little intense. You're like, oh man, he's coming at us hard today. Like, Sweating. But it can be awkward to do that. You know, you feel a little awkward. What about fear? There's another one. You know, what if they ask you a question you don't know the answer to? (laughs) It happens all the time. But really, like fearful, I'm taking a relational risk. What if this changes the dynamic of my relationship with this person? Can I analyze all of this in a very cold, sterile, logical way? Because I don't think we think it through this way, but I do think this is true It is the most unloving thing that we could possibly do for someone we profess to love if we believe the tenets of the Bible not to talk to them if they're our Bill, if they're our Cornelius, about Jesus. In fact, if I was that person and I knew that you believed that there is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be thwarted, that there is forgiveness and wholeness and life and purpose and meaning and for all of this, cleansing to be had. if you believe that, even if I never believed that, and you're my friend and you never said anything to me about it, how much do you hate me? Yeah It's a solo clap, brother. But seriously, time. That's another one. I think we make a mistake with, when we a- calculate our time in this. And here's the false assumption that we make. We make the false assumption that we've got to work this into our schedule. And so we look at our schedule, and it's, it's overly full, isn't it? You know, I've got to spend this much time at work. I've got to spend this much time with my family. I've got to spend this much time, you know, with my friends. I, I have a hobby. I do this. I go to the gym. I've got to work out. I mean, I'm at that stage of life where, like, this isn't a luxury. Like, I actually need to do this. You know, like, I, I, and then we look back at our schedule and we go, "Good grief! Now I have got to find time to talk to somebody about Jesus." I mean, where am I going to find time to do that? Where does this fit in my schedule and yours? Answer: Everywhere. That's the reason it works. So now I'm going to work. I'm not just going to work as the boss or the employee or a coworker, or whatever the case may be, whatever the title is, whatever hat that you wear. I am going to work as an ambassador of Christ, and I'm going to work really well to earn the respect of my peers and. People above me and below me in the organization. And I'm going to pray for these people. I might even tell them I'm praying for them. I might even solicit prayer requests. I'll be that guy because I love them enough to sacrifice my pride and endure a little bit of awkward. It's always, well, almost always less awkward than you think it's going to be, by the way. I am in my family as an ambassador of Jesus. I, I go to the gym as an ambassador of Jesus. All right, so I joined a gym because if you think about the way that my life is constructed, and this is not a cop-out, it's just reality. Like, I'm a Christian pastor, I work at a Christian church, we have a Christian school, everybody I work with is a Christian, okay? So it's not a big mission field here at Rio and Bethany, all right? It is in regard to the people we deal with, which is awesome, but not with the people I work with. Go home, everybody's a Christian. My friends, pretty much all of them are Christians, I'm like, I got to get out of this, this Christian bubble that I live in. I like to work out. It's part of my schedule anyway. I'm going to go join a gym, which I haven't done, by the way, in like 15 years, okay? Like a weightlifting gym. I know that's shocking to you. You look at me like, no, you're a powerlifter. I can tell, you know. <laughs> Clearly. So I join a weightlifting gym. Again, haven't done that in 15 years. It is so different, I mean, it's a completely different experience. I feel like I've been in a time capsule. I stepped out of the gym 15 years ago, and I just stepped into the gym now, and I'm going, what happened? So like when I used to go to the gym, I would go to the gym because this is how it works with everyone's schedule. Same days, same time, and what do you see? Same people. Kind of the point, at least if you're going to be an ambassador. So, you know, I would go to the gym, and be a lot of people working out, but I mean, you kind of see the same people, you know, you start going, hey man, how you doing? You know, you start recognizing faces, hey, can you give me a spot, you know, because it's like 30 pounds and it's going to crush me, like, what? Um... You know, how, how long are you going to be on that machine? Can I work in with you? And before long, I mean, if you're just a reasonably sociable person, like I am not an extrovert, okay, but even I kind of get to know people and, you know, you kind of learn a little about them and, you know, what they do professionally and about their family and, you know, you can start saying, oh, you know what, I'm going to pray for you about that, man. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to ask you in a week how that's going, that kind of stuff. And that's what I was expecting. Okay, that's gone. I I mean, maybe you guys have been a part of the gym, and you can help me when we're done, just make the transition, because I'm making assumptions. But I go to the gym now, and it's a big gym, lots of people. Three people yesterday did not have some kind of headphones. Three, me, a guy that I know who is 61 years old, and I've known him for 25 years, and then one other guy about my age, that's it. Everybody has these in, or more often, they have these in. These are noise-canceling headphones. Like, there is nothing that says buzz off more clearly than noise can- I am canceling out any possibility that I can hear any noise you even make, and then some of them sing with these on. I'm like, dude, you know you're the only one that can hear this music, but, but really, and you know what that means? That means that eye contact is super awkward. And I'm the awkward guy in the gym now because I'm like looking at people, you know. Like, you know. <laughs> and I just smile at them, you know, and they're like, why? <laughs> Hoodies, that's another thing that's new to the gym at least. I mean, think about a hoodie. It's now, I'm not just canceling out your noise. I'm putting blinders on. Like I'm looking at life through a toilet paper roll and unless you're, unless you're in my narrowed field of sight, I'm not even going to see you. There's outfits that, that people wear. I, I stand out that way too because... And I, I realized I was going to talk about this and yesterday I got dressed to go to the gym, you know, and, I, and I, I mean, I just pull the t-shirt off the top of the stack and then I have all of my shorts like in my underwear drawer and I just sort of stuck my hand through the, the handle hand place and I just feel for something nylon and, then I, and that's what I wear, so whatever that is. And I looked at myself and went, oh man, this is so bad. So I changed my shirt, but... There's a lot of thought going on there. And honestly, and maybe this is, you know, my gym sensibilities are old, okay? Please hear this. But and certainly this is not true for all of the women in the gym. Many of them are very tastefully dressed. But for a lot of the younger women who could be my daughters, which helps, by the way, um, I, I, I'm not, I'm trying not to even look at them, honestly. Like they come by and I'm like, look at the ceiling, look at the floor, you know, <laughs> look at the wall. By the way, don't look at the wall. It's mirrored. It doesn't work. You know, I'm like, I'm like, look at my hand. You know, I'm looking at my hand. What's in your hand? I got nothing in my hand because I don't bring my phone in the gym, which is another thing. It's antisocial. I pray, Lord, because I'm naturally somewhat introverted. So, I mean, you put me in that environment. I'm pretty comfortable, to be honest. You don't want to talk to me. We're good. I'm going to work out. I don't need the headphones. You're singing, so I got what's going on anyway. And I'm praying, Lord, you know, like this is my shot. You know, can I just meet anybody? So anyway, I decided I'm going to go for it. I'm not leaving without a name. (laughs) So I walk up to this big guy. His legs are like the size of my chest. Seriously, maybe bigger. And I walk out and he's got the hoodie on, you know and I walk up, and I think I'm in the cone of sight, so I'm pretty sure he sees me, and, and I said, hey man, you have great legs, and <laughs> it came out of my mouth, and I thought, that is not appropriate for me to say to anyone in the gym, anyone, so now I'm nervous, I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not what I mean, I mean, I, what I'm saying is You got the leg thing dialed in. Like, in fact, I think you got the whole workout thing dialed in. And, you know, I'm just kind of new to the gym, and I haven't done it in a while. I did all this other stuff, P90X, blah, 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 body weight, all that stuff. But I haven't lifted weights, and I'm just looking for tips. As you can see, I am genetically deficient in the leg region. So what you got? And then he looks at me with the hoodie, and he pulls it back. What's he wearing? (laughs) Hadn't heard a thing I said. He takes him off, and he's like, what? And I was somewhat relieved, but now I'm really nervous. I'm like, well, I, you know, and this, and then I got the and P90X, and I'm just just give me some leg exercises. You know, I'm just here to meet you. And so anyway, he was really a great guy, gave me some exercises. I've done two of them. And so at the end of it, I just said, hey, my name is Tom. And I shook his hand, and he said, hey, my name is, and he told me his name. And then when I got out to my truck, I put his name in my phone. I got a name, one one. I think I've seen him twice since then. I'm like, he hasn't waved. He hasn't waved. I'm just trying. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that before you're anything else, you're a missionary. A missionary is not somebody you write a check to in Indonesia. You live in the single largest unchurched English speaking country in the world. Right here. And South Florida is leading the pack, man. Before you are, whatever you are, and in everything you do, you are an ambassador of Jesus. And you got to deal with the things that are in here that are preventing you from talking to people out here and almost all of them are related to our own self. So, Peter goes to Caesarea. And then we read in verse 24 that on the following day, They entered Caesarea and Cornelius, this Gentile Roman centurion, was expecting them. And he had called together his Gentile relatives and his close Gentile friends. And when Peter entered the courtyard, I think is what we're talking about here, of the house of Cornelius, Cornelius came out, leaving everybody else in the house, and he met him. And he fell down at his feet and he worshipped him, but Peter lifted him up, which means Peter touched him, saying, stand up, for I too am just a man. And as Peter talked with him, he then went into the forbidden house of this man. And inside of that home, Peter found many Gentile persons gathered together. And Peter is so astounded by what God is doing here that he actually had an inside thought that came out as an outside thought. Like if I was there, I would have said, Pete, you should have just, you know, like, that was, don't say this. But he can't repress it. He said to them out loud, he said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew like me to associate with or even to visit anyone of another nation because, I mean, let's be honest, you people are unclean. You're defiled. But God has shown me something really important. And that is that I should not call, please don't miss the next word, because maybe this is why you're here. Any person, common or unclean, but instead, I need to wake up to the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ that made me, Peter, and me, Tom, clean is so powerful that it can make anyone clean. I mean, so many people stay away from Jesus because they just assume that they're just so much worse than everybody else that they fig- find in church. They're like, yeah, 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 powerful enough for you. And maybe you and you and you and you, I a mean, little questions about you over here, but you know, but not powerful enough for me. He's the son of God takes all comers. His blood can make you clean and his blood can make your Bill or your Cornelius or your, what's the name? Clean. How dare we withhold it either from ourselves or anyone else so what does Peter do? He preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. And what does God do? He brings them all to faith in Christ. And then, so that Peter and the Jews that he brought with him as witnesses, because he's smart, he's like, listen, if something's about to change, I need other people in this. He brings them with him. Okay. The Holy Spirit to make the point that the faith of these Gentiles, of me, of you, of Cornelius, of that crowd, and that day, and this crowd, in this day, is just as valid as the faith of these ethnically pure Jewish people. He falls upon the Gentiles just as outwardly miraculously as he had fallen upon them on the day of Pentecost. And that ends the argument. And it opens the door of the gospel to everyone. But we already get that. So the question isn't what does the story or why does the story matter to us? The question is what does the story require of us? And I think it's simple. I think it requires you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to repent and to lay down the walls and the barriers that exist in our heart. Repent of our pride, which means to turn from it of our selfishness, of our fear, whatever. Break down the barriers, Lord, between us and and whoever our Bill, whoever our Cornelius is. So in closing and in love, let me ask you, First of all, who in your life might never meet Jesus unless they meet Jesus through you? You know who it is. By the way, that's your alpha list. I mean, if you're looking to make one, that's the, the person or the people you pray for and then you reach out to and you invite. And what walls need to come down in your heart and mind for you to share Jesus with them? Because that is really the most loving thing you could do. And if they think about it, they'll realize that's the case. Let's pray together, and then we'll come to the Lord's Tabor. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this man, Peter. I thank you for just how real he is. I thank you for the many ways that I see him fail that are so common in my own life. And I thank you for your persistent love in raising him up and forgiving him and in recommissioning him. And I thank you that in faith, he does get recommissioned again and again. Lord, I thank you for this precious story and for the way that it opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles, including my own self and family and so many here today. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the renewed heart of Peter, one Lord, with a heart for other people and a passion to see them know the freedoms and the joys that we ourselves have experienced in Christ. And I pray, Lord, for anybody who does not know Jesus, who's watching online or who's here with us this morning. Lord, I pray that word, any, would pierce their hearts. The blood of Christ, powerful enough to make any clean. Let them lay their sins down before you. Let them give their life God to you and rise in a newness of life and a new power. Lord, make us evangelists. Make us proclaimers of your gospel. Give us a bill. Give us a Cornelius and give us faith and go with us as we seek to make you known. Do these things for the sake of your own glory You deserve to be worshipped by everything in and under heaven. And do this for the sake of people that we've grown to love. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen.